Extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth. And this is Tangie Reed Marshall. We're from the Education Trust, a national education advocacy organization that works to ensure that all children get a great education, no matter what their background. In this podcast, we talk with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are meeting the unprecedented challenge of educating children during the twin crises of a worldwide pandemic and a national reckoning over deeply entrenched racial injustice. In the spring of 2020, we produced 19 podcasts talking with superintendents and principals about how they had managed the sudden shutdown of schools in March and what they were planning for the fall. Well... It's fall, and we are back to talk about how things are going. Today we're talking with Dr. Corey Miklas, Superintendent of Seaford Public Schools in Seaford, Delaware. Thanks so much for coming, Dr. Miklas. Thank you. And he is joined by Carol Levely, Principal of Frederick Douglass Elementary School, which is third through fifth grade. Hi, hello. <laughs> and Dr. Chrissy Jeanette, Principal of Blades Elementary School, which houses kindergarten through second grade. Good afternoon. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe and healthy. Yes. I profiled Seaford School District in the second season of the Extraordinary Districts podcast and wrote about it in my forthcoming book, Districts That Succeed. I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of terrific folks in Seaford. I had to be very stern with myself not to invite more, but I told myself we just have to return to Seaford in the spring. And I want to congratulate Carol Levely. You were recognized with the Terrell Bell Award for Outstanding Leadership from the U.S. Department of Education. Congratulations. Thank you. The last time we spoke with Dr. Miklas, he was wrestling with how to ensure that students had connectivity and computers and to make sure they were continuing to learn. You've been in a hybrid mode this fall. Some students are in school buildings. Others are fully remote. Can you describe how you're operating? Yes, yeah, so we are under a hybrid situation. We, we brought students back into our schools September the 8th, and uh, we were actually the first public school in the state of Delaware to do so. Um, very, very proud of, of the work our staff has done. And, you know, our goal in the beginning was it was really simple. We wanted to go slow. And we were really concerned about the health and um, safety of all of our staff and students. So we didn't bring back a major, um, a large group of students out of the gate. We just tended to, um, to ease them in. And uh, so far it's been going really well for us. We do have probably, we have over 50% of our population at every school 
um, in the buildings. And that's on an AABB schedule. So some students may come Monday, Tuesday, and another group of students may come Thursday and Friday. And no one comes on Wednesday. Yeah, correct. Wednesday is um, an asynchronous day where our staff has created some um, some lessons for students to do on their own. There is a little bit of synchronous work that day, but the bulk is for teachers to really work on planning, professional learning communities, designing lessons, et cetera. So how well is this going? First of all, have you had any outbreaks of coronavirus? Well, I would not say we've had any outbreaks, but we've had some cases. So, um, and I think that's, that's really important to uh, distinguish uh, between the two. So again, since, since September 8th, and as of this morning, I think we're about 19 total cases throughout the district. And that includes students, um, teachers, custodians, bus drivers. And we've had no cases where there's, um, it's been a, any form of spread within our schools. So, you know, usually what happens is um, you may have had a, if I have to make a call or two a week, because that's what we do. As soon as we find out of a, of a positive case, we inform our entire community. That's another one of our goals to make sure we're as, as transparent as possible. And what we analyze it with the support of um, Delaware Public Health is to make sure there's no spread in the schools. So I may have a, a situation where I had to make a call for, say, a staff member at Fred Douglas and a student at Blades. And we make sure we say that this is not connected. Um, and I would say that 99% of the cases we've had, we've always been able to say this, no other quarantining is needed because, the, um, because of the adherence to mask wearing and social distancing. So really what happens there is just that individual who was sick is then has to be out for 14 days and then no one else. So that's important as we, you know, we, as we communicate with our, our community, we stress that our schools are some of the safest places that uh, people can be. Are you all feeling safe? Do, does your community feel safe? Let me ask this. Is there good adherence to mask wearing and social distancing or has that been, has that been a problem? So, you know, Thinking about this, if we've had, if we have over 60% of our students in the building, you know, that's kind of my gauge. I can't say that everyone feels safe because not all students, not all families selected for their students to come back to school. Um, our number one can fear or our number one fear as we worked on the planning uh, with our, with the, the union and staff members and a lot of the stakeholders throughout the district was that fear of how in the world are we gonna monitor the use of masks? Will, will students adhere to that? And it was truly amazing. On day one, when the students came off the buses and they all had their masks on, and there may have been one student who had to get their masks and we had our bus drivers with, with uh, masks ready to hand to them. But even when they came off the bus, they knew to kind of back away from their, their partner or their neighbor in front of them. Um, and our students have been amazing. I, it's truly amazing. And some, when, even when I'm at the school in the mornings now, the only students who need a mask, though they're holding it because the string may have broke. So we just give them another replacement there, but it's not that they forgot it or they're, 
you know, they're, they're not trying to, um, to circumvent the rules. They really want to be in school and they're really adhering to all the protocols. Well, that's, that's so interesting. I, I want to ask the principals, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> Especially Dr. Jeanette. I mean, you've got the little ones, you've got the kindergarten, first and second graders. Um, they're, oh, they're fine with the masks. Yes, they are. Um, they are wearing the mask all the time. Sometimes the masks um, are a little bit too big for them and they'll slide down. Um, so I s spend some time walking around pointing to my nose and they know if I point to my nose, they need to just readjust their mask. Um, but they wear it all day long um, unless they're eating lunch. And as soon as they're finished eating their lunch, before they go wash their hands, they put their masks back on and they really don't have any problems with it at all. It's really been um, wonderful to see. And actually, I think that my five-year-olds are handling it better than some adults so that I know. Uh, well, that's that's kind of where I was going. I was going to ask um, uh, Ms. Levely, your your kids, you you don't have a problem with uh, tag you're it. You've got COVID now, or you know anything like that? No, the um, at Frederick Douglass, the the students are handling the masks. Um, like Dr. Miklas said, they it was like they got off the bus, and I honestly think the kids were so glad to be back that they're willing to do whatever they have to do to stay there, to stay here. Um, very little, uh, just like Dr. Jeanette, you know, I, I do this quite a bit during the day, but Touching as soon your as nose. the kids yeah. get the, the reminder, they, uh, they pull it up. Um, the staff, uh, the first week or two back before the kids returned, um, the staff had to learn what the expectations in the building were going to be because I think they thought, oh, well, this person's in my room all day. If it's just us, we can pull our masks down. So once the staff was trained, you know, on what the expectations were, um, it, it, it was a huge worry of mine. And it was a worry for nothing because the, the kids and the adults are, are really handling it. And luckily, the um, district really thought ahead of time and provided us with kid masks, cloth masks, adult masks, shields. Um, Dr. Jeanette and I both have the autism program. So we do have kids that need to wear the shield and the mask or just a mask because they can't tolerate the feeling on their face. And um, the district was able to provide us with everything that we need um, in order to be able to keep um, the kids and the adults safe. So you've got... You said 50% or 60% of your students in buildings. Is that right? Correct. Correct. So what about the other 40%, the 40% the who are remote? Are, they all have computers and Wi-Fi. You were really struggling with that. Yeah, that is, uh, that still is a challenge. So um, what we've done is from the technology side, we were able to get the, um, the devices out. Um, to all of our families, but really, as a district, we could control that. I mean, we we placed some orders early, and that's that's the reason why we were able to open so early is because the district as a whole did a lot of work throughout the summer, 
And on those committee meetings, I mean, there was a lot of wrestling to figure this stuff out. The meetings were not um, smooth always, you know. I mean, everyone, you have an opinion. You have a lot of fear. You're trying to work these things out. Um, but we were able to control that. The, the biggest struggle for us was, was internet. Um, and, you know, we, we beat the drum with the state since, I don't know, March of last year. And we just continued to tell them how severe it was for our, um, for our school district. Because again, we're on the Western side of the state. It's pretty rural. Our, our neighbor district to the North, they struggle. Our neighbor district to the South struggle. But the state kept trying to, to help us and some of their, their help, it just wasn't enough. And so just to kind of go through a small scenario, they, they were able to contract with a, with a firm to help deliver some internet to our families. And they were going to pick up the cost and everything sounded great. We were really excited. But then when this company would go out to the homes, they would then consider it a non-standard installation because there'd be trees in the way or the, the signal, there'd be no signal out there. So something that may have seemed really easy in the first fix, yep, we're gonna take care of Seaford, ended up just to get internet to the home, it would have cost the company $5,000 or that family $5,000. So then this non-standard installation list grew and grew and grew. And now the state kept seeing how much of a struggle was for it. And they continued to help but they weren't really aware of the severity that we were facing. And um, through, and I will give the state credit, they really worked at it. And um, they've done some more um, supports for us. And the next thing we did as a district, we were able to sign up um, um, for a, a program where we were able to get about a thousand hotspots um, for, for our district. And I know some of them just arrived yesterday. So now we are we got to work through that process and we're going to get our students some hot spots. And it's just and again, we've been working on this since March. It's now December and we're still now our list of Internet issues has really decreased, but it still continues to be an issue. Another example would be. All right. So family A finally got the Internet, but the signal wasn't strong enough to run the Zoom meetings or some of the other. So just when you thought you had it fixed something else would pop up. So that's our challenge. Well, I, I, not to interject uh, political considerations, but we don't have a national response <laughs> to this problem. And we need a national response. Right. There, it needs to be a national response. Even, even a state response is not, your finding is not sufficient. Delaware is a small state. Right which is a plus and a minus, right? It shouldn't have to be this hard um, in a small state. Yeah. And yet it is, particularly in rural areas. Um, so are you finding that the remote kids, that's a terrible term, but the kids who are learning remotely, are they, are they logging in? Are they actually um, attending? Are they engaged? How is that going? Dr. Jeanette, you, I mean, it's, it seems to me it's the hardest for the little kids, right? Well, we, so as a district, we looked at um, what our learning management system would be for the fall because um, we wanted to improve upon what happened in the spring. So for our littlest learners, 
um, we're using a platform called Seesaw, which is very user friendly for younger children um, and has the microphone built into it, the video built into it. So our goal was to bring our students back as many as we could so that we could teach them how to use it. For our students who were working remotely, well, for all of our students, we scheduled an hour block with each family. So we brought in a parent and a student for an hour. They met with the teacher before the beginning of the school year for an hour to show them how to log in, how to access Seesaw, what programs they needed to do. So we really tried to front load it so that um, all of our students would learn how to log in once that time came. We also at Blades have, and I know I'm pretty sure that Mrs. Lovely has the same thing. We have tech people right on site who are there to answer the phones in the morning. So if you're having trouble getting on a Zoom call, I can patch it through to one of my people at, on my staff who can help walk you step by step through that. So since then, we've been able to get them um. Yeah, our kids are logging in almost every day. And if they're not logging in during the day live because their parents are working or they can't at that moment, they're doing watching the recordings of the Zooms in the evening and are um, doing their work in the evenings or on the weekends with their parents. And we've been flexible with our deadlines on that. And are you finding that awesome is lovely? Uh, yes, we uh, use Schoology for our learning management system at Frederick Douglass. And um, right now we have about 150 students that are 100% remote out of 450. And um, I would say of those 150, we have 130 that are actively engaged. They're Zooming. They're on Schoology, whether it be synchronously or asynchronously. Um, of that, of those 20 kids that are disengaged, uh, you name it, we're trying to, to reel them in. Um, but similarly to Dr. Jeanette, uh, we are being flexible. Uh, the kids have 72 hours to get their work for the day on Schoology completed because a lot of our kids' parents are working one or two in some cases, three jobs, and the parent prefers to be there with the child when they complete it. So they might watch the Zoom lesson live, but do the Schoology work um, later. Um, so yeah, we're, um, we're 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 very similar to Blades. We're just using a, a different learning learning management system uh, with the kids. And compared to the spring, um, what the district has done for um, internet is huge, uh, leaps and bounds, um, fantastic. Um, that's all we did in the spring was try to get kids and families connected um, in more ways than one. And I, in the last two months, I hear internet maybe, I've maybe heard internet twice where from March until September, I heard internet probably twice every hour. <laughs> so it's, um, we're in a much, 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 much uh, better place. Okay, so you're, you're working out the schedules, you're working out the technology. 
You both you both use um, well. The whole district uses bookworms curriculum. I'm curious how that has translated into uh, remote hybrid because it's such a it, it's a very structured program. For those of you who don't know, it's very structured. It's structured around three blocks of 45 minutes a day. Um, how, how are you adapting your bookworms curriculum? to this new environment? Um, With bookworms, luckily, um, Dr. Walpole, the author, and uh, we've been fortunate enough um, to have Tammy Steele, who is one of her specialists. Uh, Dr. Walpole jumped on the hybrid remote bandwagon back in the spring. So she realized that some some tweaking and adjustments was going to need to occur in order to be able to teach the bookworm curriculum um, synchronously. Um, we have been, at FRED, have been focusing on the shared block and the ELA block. Um, just uh, mid-October, we began the third block, um, the RTI block, the, different, the differentiation block for the kids that need a certain skill where normally we start that end of September, so we're a few weeks behind. Um, But I really wanted, because of not being close, because of not having as many kids connected in the spring, we have um, built up the shared block. It's more of an hour now at Fred where we're we're really doing a... um, more thorough job with grammar and uh, sentence composing and things like that, that the kids missed in the spring. So we're trying to bring those skills in. What Dr. Walpole and her team did for us was um, a lot of the texts have been digitized. um, So that has helped to have the the words on the screen. Um, The district is now allowing us to send the books home. So the kids have the books as well as the text in front of them. That's huge. Um, and then Dr. Walpole also took a look at the scope and sequence, uh, knowing and realizing that we weren't going to be able to do um, everything that we normally do if, if we were to face-to-face. Um, so she did make recommendations. Well, if you can't do this book here, you could possibly do it there. Um, But the big thing is she um, really helped my teachers and we've been lucky enough to have Tammy Steele for the fall um, for some coaching sessions. So really just what does shared look like synchronously? So shared being a time when then the teacher is reading aloud and talking with the students about the book. Normally during shared, for example, the kids take a good seven to 10 minutes partner reading. Well, when you have kids at home and kids in the room and they're not supposed to face one another, uh, that becomes a challenge. So what we're doing is we're using a digital tool called Flipgrid and the kids are rereading their text using that digital tool. And then the teacher listens to what they've read. Um, we're just starting to do some breakout rooms where the teacher's putting the partners in the breakout room, whether they're in the building or at home, to read to one another. And we don't have to worry about the mask and face-to-face and are you six feet apart and 
can you hear what they're saying and take all those things out of the equation. So, so the students who are at home are actually participating in classrooms. Is that oh, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Three times a day, they, they uh, zoom in for shared ELA and mathematics. So these are the students who are both all remote or they're just not in the building uh, for those two days. Correct. It, it's a whole class. It's just only the A, the blue kids or the AA, like Dr. Miklas said, might be actually in the room. But the kids that come on Thursday, Friday and the 100% home are, are Zooming in. So teachers have said this is hugely mm, uh, tiring and difficult to do, to both manage in classroom and remote at the same time. How are the teachers doing? I think they're um, doing as well as can be expected. I think um, they were a little nervous at first, um, just having kids in the building. We were all a little apprehensive. However, um, the district did a really good job of considering the student day and student hours and building in additional time for teachers to connect with remote learners um, for maybe individualized assessments in the afternoon after students leave, as well as giving teachers more time for collaborative planning. So we're doing a lot of team planning and a lot of distribution of the work. So a teacher, a student at our school at Blades might be looking at a screen that has a teacher that's not their teacher on it and watching a recorded video so that they can share them across the grade level to help distribute the work. So Tanji, I wonder if you have questions. Yeah, I've, I've been do. dominating. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I did. When we were thinking about uh, a configuration, so there's been lots of conversations about just the same thing that you said, Dr. Chrissy, is, uh, you know, maybe my teacher isn't my teacher, but I'm still learning. And then maybe we're pulling small groups in other places. That's one configuration. Have there been other sort of um, innovative configurations that you've been able to employ to do some more of that work distribution? So I think um, going back to bookworms, the biggest challenge for us at um, the primary level was our differentiated instruction block um, because a teacher could have up to six different skill groups within their classroom during that differentiated block. And we came into the year thinking, okay, we're just going to have everybody Zooming. And you may be Zooming all over the building, but Zooming with somebody who's not in your room. And how are we going to do that? And then as we got a little bit further into the year, um, as Mrs. Lovely said, we did not start our differentiated block as early as we normally would. We um, showed some we, we used some videos that Dr. Walpole, hold on, sorry, um, Dr. Walpole and um, her organization had put out for us that were the differentiated lessons taught by her staff members. Mm -hmm. So um, in consulting with her, um, we kind of dropped back 
because our kids missed some things this spring and pushed those videos out first to everybody. And then we were able to do our individualized assessments and start putting them in the skill groups where they would be. So that was a logistical um, nightmare. It took (laughs) us a long time to figure out what that was going to look like. So um, this past week was our first week of fully doing that block of bookworms. And um, it's going really well. We made materials for our students that were remote learners. We handed those materials out to them so they can be manipulating at home and working through the process at home. And our teachers are doing it with our kiddos here in the building as well. That's, a, that's fascinating. I'd love to be able to see that. One of the big uh, questions and noodles folks have been thinking through as we think about schooling in this really interesting time, as I call it, is about the idea of kids losing learning, right? Like learning loss and lost year and all that business. What is something, and I know a lot of people thinking about, how did you work through the concept of students possibly learning, losing a lot of learning or their learning being unfinished, which is how we say to address that their instruction was unfinished. Um, How did you all tackle that conundrum? So at Blades, and I know um, at Frederick Douglass as well, because as a district, we're very Mm -hmm. data-driven. So we look at our students individually for their progress. So I have a giant spreadsheet that is made per student, and it's color-coded. And so we um, looked at where they ended in March, March 13th, when they walked out of the building. Where were they instructionally? And then where they started at the beginning of the year um, when we first assessed them. And then we had some really serious conversations about this student was much further in March than where they are right now. Perhaps we need to accelerate them a little bit and push them so that we can get them back and to where they were. And what our teachers are now reporting to me is, oh, yes, I've done the individual assessment with this child now and this child's already moved. You know, I'm not I'm skipping those lessons. They don't need those lessons. They've already had them last year. They just needed a reminder of them and to bring them up to up to date. That's so encouraging. Karen, that reminds me of the conversations we have about whether do you, do you actually lose something or does it just kind of like, you know, the sort of recency of it that brings it about, which is really, really encouraging regarding how we deal with that. How are you guys dealing with grading? <laughs> Uh-oh, there's a chuckle. Yeah, you know, that is I, – I can give just um, from a bigger scale of, of, of district-wide – this is something that we've really, you know, just been trying trying to work through, um, especially when you have when you go back to just internet issues for so long. So we worry about, you know, whether it be our elementary students learning loss, et cetera, making sure that they're doing well and they're passing. And then you, you start moving up through six through eight, nine through twelve, we start talking about eligibility. So students right. can play sports and everything else. I mean, gradually factor into a lot of this. And we, we do have students who are struggling. Um, you know, you have just 
part of our district makeup, especially for our older students. If, if mom and dad have to go to school and, or I'm sorry, if mom and dad have to go to work, the older student may have to stay home and help their younger sibling through their work. And then the high school student has to eventually catch up with their work later. So we've been really trying to give the word we've been using is grace. We're trying to give our students some grace and really work with them through these challenging times. And um, we set up a lot of tutoring at our at our older grade levels to make sure students are falling through the they're not falling through the cracks. But um, it really is a challenge. Um, and the other the other big thing that we had to work through was March through June last year was hard, confusing challenge. You know, we didn't really know what we didn't know, and we've said this, we're going to be, when we start the school year, well, we said we're going to be better than we were in March, April, May. We're going to be better at, at every area. So I think maybe we had some students who thought, ah, it's going to be just like March and April, and May, but no, we were, it was, it's full school. And it took a little bit for some of our students to get adjusted again. Um, and now, you know, when the interim grades come out and they see some report card grades, they realize this is, this is school. You need to take it seriously as we, as we keep it working through. And the other thing, and I think, um, Chrissy and Carol both touched on this a little bit in the beginning, we were very, very supportive of, of everybody, whether it be staff, students, families, because, we were all nervous. We didn't know what this was going to be like in our school. So we wanted to launch it. Well, we launched it and we got about a month in and we started to feel a little bit more comfortable. And these are terms I use with our administrators a lot. And we've learned this through a lot of the professional development we've been through as groups. But we, we started switching from that support over to the accountability side because it is time to see, are our students really learning? Are our teachers really teaching these standards so you have to start, you have to move away. You can't stay in the support lane forever. So we've really been transitioning over to that real school, real learning, real expectations. And I say these things and it's hard every single day, but we know what we have to do as a district to keep moving us forward. That's so encouraging. I'm glad you said that, you know, the, the need to hold people accountable to their, to what we say we want for kids, you know, and it's really important for learning to transpire. Um, how are you finding um, the idea that professional development has to happen and accountability has to happen? And a lot of times accountability is that word that people don't want to say, right? Because it feels really, you know, dangerous and things are going to happen to you if things are accountable. How are your teachers dealing with the, 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 the language you're saying, you know, like we had to move our language. How has that switch in language really begun to transpire into their change and maybe their work attitudes and their work perspectives? You know, I'll probably let our, our principals dive in a little bit deeper. But, you know, even when I communicate this way to them, I knew I, you couldn't come out of the gate in August and say, all right, let's let me see these benchmark scores like that would that would have sent my principals over the edge when they're trying to temper, you know, basically everyone's fears at that time. So you have to just gradually layer on more expectations. And, and we talk about accountability, but I, I want to be clear that I personally struggle with the fact that as of today, we're still going to be expected to give a state assessment. 
we're still going to be expected to give Nate. That's not the kind of the kind of accountability I'm talking about. I'm just talking about everyday accountability where we want to make sure that our kindergartners are learning the correct skills they need to to be proficient readers by the time they get to third grade. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure our third graders are developing those foundational math skills so they can be successful as they progress through the grades. That's the kind of accountability I'm talking about, not a state assessment because right. that's a whole other sidebar tangent I could go on. Yeah, I'm sure that we all could join you there for a little bit uh, as we go. Last thing I was wondering about, you said um, the kinds of PD that you've been talking about, you've been taking and going through. What's been some of the most impactful PD y'all have had this year? You know, I'd, I'd like my my principals to really dive into that if they could. I'll try, but uh, we could get interrupted by an all call in any second. Um, I think the best PD so far this year at Fred has been the baby steps we've taken to figure out this whole new thing called school. So my teachers didn't know what Zoom was in March. They didn't know what Schoology was. Um, They didn't know what Padlet, Pear Deck. Um, They didn't know the digital tools. So we really, you talk about a 90-day plan. It's really a day-by-day plan for success where um, we've had, Dr. Miklas used the term layer on, like every day I'm upping the accountability. Every day I'm adding, where normally it might be every month or twice a quarter. So now it's like, okay, every day we're going to do a little bit more and I think that's what's been critical for our PD success. Am I doing the PD that I thought I was going to do when I came to Fred six years ago? No. It's still sitting on my credenza waiting for me. <laughs> but I'll get there. Um, I've just had to take what's most important now. And and my what I thought we were going to need year six um, perhaps will happen in year seven. Right. And, and I think that to to piggyback off of what um, Dr. Miklas and Ms. Lovely have said, you know, one of the things that we value in Seaford is relationships. And we always talk about relationships matter and relationships first. So I think knowing your teachers and knowing right now how to walk that tightrope between the accountability because we want our children to grow. And um, my goal is for them to be readers when they leave second grade and go to Frederick Douglass Elementary. But at the same time, recognizing that my teachers are also human beings with families and are balancing their own needs, their own children's virtual learning or face-to-face learning, whatever that might be. Um, so really knowing your staff, but I would agree with what um, Mrs. Lovely said. It's a day by day thing. You know, some days we're um, we're good and everybody feels great. And then other days we're all a little apprehensive because we may have had a staff member who tested positive or we may have um, gotten some student information back that's not positive in any way. Um, but really knowing how to walk that tightrope. And I think that's been extremely um, challenging this year as an administrator because 
I do want to hold my teachers accountable, but at the same time, I also need to be supportive of them. Um, but yet I'm not going to let them off the hook for my mm -hmm. children's learning either. Right. Thank you for that balance. So I, I was wondering, like a lot, there's been a lot of talk about social emotional learning and sort of how, to, how schools can help support students in kind of this very difficult time. Um, do you have like a specific block of time where you're checking in with all the kids or how are you, what are you doing along those lines? At Blades, um, our school leadership team this summer prioritized um, social emotional learning and realized that that was going to be a need for our students coming back into the building. Um, so we have morning meeting every day, and that's how we kick off um, our day. Um, our school leadership team, under the guidance of our guidance counselor, our school counselor, um, has provided kind of a scope and sequence for all of our teachers around morning meeting and topics to discuss. We talk about our feelings. We have graphics. Um, and then once a week on Wednesday um, during some of their asynchronous time, my guidance counselor and my social worker at my school have done some videos that we push out to all of our children um, about being inclusive and um, being respectful to all people, as well as taking care of your own self um, and your own emotional needs. You've talked a little bit about the teachers. How, how are they, you know, how can they access the counselors? I mean, is there, is there something for them to, to kind of check in with folks? Do you, do you have just like staff meetings where you just bitch and moan? I mean, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I don't know, I don't know yes. what that would look like. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. Um, <laughs> and I think, again, going back to that relationships, I mean, teachers will come to myself, come to my assistant principal, go to my school counselor, um, because we're all a big family and we've worked together for a while. We have new staff members this year, but certainly our core staff has been here for a while. Um, and we... Um, we understand what it means to support each other. And if I'm having a bad day, it's okay. I don't have to put on a happy face every minute of every day and pretend that everything's perfect. Um, during the summer, I held voluntary Zoom meetings with my staff regularly because I wasn't sure what was happening with schools. So I was just giving them updates. This is what I know. I don't know more than this. What are your concerns? What can we do to make you feel more comfortable about coming back in the building? Um, so, and yes, sometimes we do have those meetings where we just all get together and, you know, kind of grumble because it's hard. It's really hard right now. I bet. No, mm -hmm. I, and then like, so we talked about students, we talked about teachers, but what about you guys? Like, you've got a lot on your shoulders. Like, is anybody taking care of you? You know, you really hope you got a holiday coming up, but we hope that it can, you know, be quiet, but it's, it really is. And we keep using that word hard and it's stressful. I mean, it, 
and you hate to live like this, but you just wait. You wait for that bad news to come in, and then you make sure that it's not. You can limit the bad news. You don't want it to be one positive case when you're building that may lead to 10 positive cases. But, um, you know, again, a lot of the work that our, our school, and when you say schools, I mean, this is a, our custodians. My, I think some of the custodians, even at the district office level, they, they basically are becoming Zoom heroes because they are they're at my office door every 15 minutes to two hours cleaning all the touch points. So they are, they open up the doors, they clean both sides. They, they end up being a lot of my zoom calls because they're constantly cleaning and our, our buildings are just, they're, they're sterile. That's probably the cleanest they've been, but I mean, it's stressful for them too, because there's other areas where they're not getting their work has changed. So you, I can't think of anyone employed in our school district now whose jobs, life um, hasn't changed since last March. It's different for everybody right now. And stress levels are definitely high, but the work they've done is amazing. Again, we've been in school now 12 weeks face-to-face with students. And um, we have a lot of staff. I can't say all staff, but I would say the majority of our staff, when we have conversations, they're very proud of that. But we do have staff that are very nervous because if you look at community numbers, they keep going up, but our district numbers stay down. And um, that's that's why we're still open at this point. If we were to ever see a change in our internal district numbers, then we would have some some other discussions there. But health and safety is still our number one priority. Well, and and just for listeners who, who don't know, Sussex County, you're in Sussex County, Delaware. Sussex County has had a lot of cases, um, thousands of cases. It's little, it's rural, and it still has had thousands of cases. Um, uh, it seems many of them are uh, centered in the in the type in the uh, poultry processing plants where a lot of your parents work. So this is this is not remote to you guys. This is this is very very real and. Um, you are living under a lot of stress. I, 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 I know that. And I really want to thank you all for taking the time to share your expertise, your knowledge, your experience with the rest of the field. Um, is there anything I didn't ask, Tanji didn't ask that you wanted to share before we close this out? I don't, I don't think so. I think, um, we covered a lot of our plan and, um, you know, as, as the year went on, you know, like I, I mentioned, we, we really went slow in the beginning. And then as we felt more comfortable, the schools layered on some more students. Um, and it's just been a gradual process. But we're at, a, we're at a time now where a lot of our neighbors have either gone remote from now until January. They will be going remote. Um, we're just extremely thankful, knowing our population, that we've, we've been able to have our students in our, in our building since you know september 8th that's what that's why we're proud we knew it was the right thing to do um because we just from now my gut tells me from now until a vaccine comes out the numbers are going to stay high so we just have to keep monitoring things and you're prepared at any point to close down if necessary yeah so we had this conversation this morning instructionally we are prepared. Um, like I mentioned, we did we did have some of our uh, new hotspots just come in. That will help us get all our families prepared. But you know, we may be prepared. But think about parents on the outside. You know, 
we just spring to remote. They got to think about what does that mean for them and their job and the child at home? I mean, they're the things that weigh on us all. We have to make sure we give our parents enough time to really get settled too. Well, that's a, that's a great way to end this. And I really, again, I can't say enough. Uh, thank you for taking the time. You are all enormously busy and I do appreciate it. So that wraps up this episode of Education Trust's podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. If you'd like to know more about Seaford, I hope you'll go back and listen to episode four of season two of Extraordinary Districts. And I hope you'll read my forthcoming book when it comes out in the spring. If you go to Harvard Education Press, you can pre-order it now, Districts That Succeed. If you have suggestions for what you'd like to hear about in this podcast, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth or Tangi at remarsh76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks, and see you next time.